For those that didn't catch up before, my name is Jerome. I'm the Associate Minister here at St. Mark's. Um, my hope and prayer for us this morning is that when we read God's Word, that we would see the extraordinary. My hope and prayer is that always when you pick up God's Word, you would see the extraordinary. Um, and sometimes that can be hard because we read passages of Scripture that can sometimes be familiar to us. Uh, sometimes we come across passages of Scripture which could seem boring or strange or obscure. But I promise you, it's always extraordinary because God is there. There is a revelation of God in his word always for us. And when we learn to see the extraordinary as we read his word, the Holy Spirit is equipping us and enabling us and helping us to see the extraordinary in our lives. When you learn to see the extraordinary in his word, when you see the presence of God in his word, you'll start to be open and become sensitive to the extraordinary in your life. The Holy Spirit will start to show you the presence of God all around. And the word helps us in this. The word enables us to become more sensitive to the Spirit of God. So for those that are joining us for the first time, we have been working through Acts, and um, uh, I'm, I wasn't surprised to bump into some friends and find they're also working through Acts. They go to another church. I think post-COVID, there are a lot of churches sort of thinking, oh, Acts might be a good book to look at as a church is formed and, and we're, we're sort of re-establishing ourselves. Um, but one of the things that we're thinking about throughout this year is actually the Holy Spirit. We want to grow in our understanding, in our knowledge of the Holy Spirit. We want to learn how to participate with the Spirit, to go with the Spirit. And so we've been looking at Acts with that purpose in mind. And actually today we're going to end our series just um, momentarily, as in we'll come back to Acts later, but we're going to look at some other things. I think we're taking up 1 Corinthians um, next week, or Andrew will start a new series on 1 Corinthians, and then we'll come back to Acts. But as we're sort of wrapping up momentarily, I want us to think back and look forward. I want us to see how this passage enables us to just sum up where we've been, but also start to look forward to where it's going. And so the first thing to be said about this story about Philip, who comes across this Ethiopian Ethiopian eunuch, is that he is on God's mission. The church is on God's mission. And this is going to be a spirit-led mission. From start to finish, this is a spirit-led mission. We see from the times the Holy Spirit comes down, all the way through the book of Acts, we see God moving and God at work. Some of you may remember the story in chapter 4, chapter 5, when... um, The apostles are brought before the Sanhedrin for the second time. They've been told to stop talking in the name of Jesus, to stop proclaiming in the name of Jesus. And Peter stands up among the apostles and says, well, who are we to obey, you or God? Um, That's a bit of a rhetorical question. And um, they're fuming at this point and they want to kill the apostles. And Gamaliel, one of the Pharisees, stands up among them and he says, hold on, just put put the apostles out and... um, Gamaliel says, hey, if this is of human origin, don't worry about it. 
this new movement that's happening that we're reading about in the Acts, if it's, if it's of human origin, don't worry about it. It'll fail. We've seen this before, these things that rise and fall. Don't worry about it. But if it's of God, if it's of God, you won't be able to stop it. And so we read that all the way at the beginning in chapter 5 and then you read the rest of Acts with that in mind. Is this of God? Can this be stopped? Can persecution stop it? And you see that it can't. What about this? What about this community of God here? Is this of human origin? I say no. I say that what I'm looking at here is of God. The Spirit of God is among us. You can't stop this. But the people of God must believe. The people of God must learn that their mission, this community, must be a community that is Spirit-led. If our plans, if our ministries are of human origin, they will fail. But if they are of God, you won't be able to stop it. So we must learn to follow. Philip is following God's lead. In verse 26, it's an angel of the Lord. Um, In two other places, it's the Spirit. But I'm going to focus on the Spirit because angels, they come, they go. Um, We hear of God using angels. I haven't personally known if I've experienced an angel. I don't know if you have. But I can tell you that God has poured out his Spirit into every believer. So I'm very happy to focus on the Spirit knowing that we should have every reason to believe that the Spirit of God can lead us moment by moment, every day. Angels, maybe, but the Spirit of God, absolutely. We just need to be sensitive and we have to learn how to follow. Many a leader has failed because they haven't learned to follow. Many a leader has failed because they never learned to follow. I'm an associate minister. Andrew is the senior minister. I must learn to follow. And just to put it plainly and clearly, I'm not Andrew and Andrew is not me. I will have different ideas. I must learn to follow. But if if you get into the position that Andrew's in, you might think, yes, now I've arrived. People will follow me. No, you learn again. Particularly in the community of faith, you learn again, no, you've got to learn to follow. I can be guaranteed, you can be guaranteed that if any of us are getting our way absolutely, 100% of the time, I promise you it's not God's way. If you are getting exactly what you want, I promise you it's not God's way. That is what I've found in my ministry time and time again. If I get what I want, it's not God's way. For the Spirit of God is among us and we must listen. We must learn to follow. If this mission is to be of God, we must learn to follow. God's people must come together and learn to follow. Or we will miss the promptings and the leadings of the Spirit. Philip is listening to the promptings of the Spirit. In verse 26, the Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. And Philip ran up to it, ran up to it, quite eager to follow. 
in verse 39, when they came up out of the water after, they, after the eunuch was baptised, after they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again. <laughs> Sometimes, um, even in certain parts of, the, of our lives or in ministries that we're a part of, we might like to stay, but if the spirit says move, we move. We must learn to follow. We must learn to listen to the promptings. A couple of weeks ago, my ears pricked up as one of the members of our congregation, Ken, was sharing his testimony. And I was listening to his story and and what it means to follow the promptings of the Spirit in our lives. It may mean you pack up your family and you move to another country. It may mean instead of picking up another book, you might pick up the Bible. And in Ken's story, that ended up having... Uh, quite a dramatic effect on the person that was sitting next to him. Learning to listen and be sensitive to the promptings of the Spirit. We must learn to follow. But this is a mission about God's kingdom. It's not about St. Mark's. It's not about my kingdom or your kingdom. It's about God's kingdom. And it's a highly inclusive kingdom. Highly inclusive God's kingdom will always push beyond our vision. God's kingdom will always push beyond our vision. Our vision is so short-sighted. God's vision is so much bigger. In Acts, the church is in view. This early church growing, it's in view. You think you're supposed to be looking at it. You're supposed to be looking at it, but looking at how God is moving always beyond it. The church is but a part of God's kingdom and what he's doing. So the church is always following and catching up. This is a highly inclusive kingdom. Highly inclusive kingdom. And so when Philip meets this eunuch, uh, the the eunuch was a a foreigner. He was from Ethiopia. Uh, These These are people sometimes excluded from the assembly of God's people. But it seems that he was a God-fearer because he was reading the scriptures. So it was possible to be made part of the assembly. It was possible to go through all the rites of circumcision, all these other things, and you could be considered part of God's people. But sometimes there were lines that were even... uh, Some people couldn't even cross. This person probably wasn't at that level of being fully included because he was also a eunuch, Um, a eunuch, someone whose genitals have been castrated. Usually a eunuch was in charge of a harem um, of of wives or concubines, or another uh, main role they played was as a treasurer, and that's what we read here. And in Deuteronomy 23 verse 1, uh, people uh, with certain disfigurements were excluded from the assembly. And that might sound strange to us if God's so highly inclusive. What's going on here? The laws can be challenging and difficult to understand. Some of the laws were about justice. We get those ones. Great. Those are far easier. But then there were laws um, around the Sabbath, rest, and what it means to really treat this time as holy. There were laws around sacrifice, really helping people to understand the seriousness of sin, that sin leads to death. And so... An animal would be sacrificed. There were a lot of stuff about sacrifices, but then some laws were about purity and holiness, about being distinct. 
they might seem strange to us. There were laws about not wearing clothing that was made of two uh, fabrics being woven together. And that might seem strange to us, but it's about being distinct, about being pure. So some things were highly symbolic. And so while it might seem strange that some people seemed excluded, the reality was God has always been the God that he is. He's always been gracious and compassionate. It's there all the time. So even in chapter 23 of Deuteronomy that I just mentioned, where it talks about um, people with certain disfigurements being excluded, only a few verses later it says uh, Moabites and Ammonites are not to be included as well. But then we have a whole book about Ruth, who was a Moabite, included in God's people. So God is always going to be who he is. What we ultimately see through the Old Testament and through the laws is actually no one's worthy. That's the point. No one's pure enough. No one's worthy. Everyone's an outsider unless God does something to bring them in. That's the point. And so here, in this Ethiopian eunuch, God is about to display his glory in in, in an even more magnified way. So he's been saying it all throughout the Old Testament. All sorts of ways people have been included. The reality of who God is has been clear. But now it's about to happen in a dramatic way. This Ethiopian eunuch. In, um, in Isaiah um, 56, um, verses three, and 3 to 5, there's a promise that we start to see and we start to hear that, see, God has always been this way. It was always going to be that God was going to include all, that this message, this good news is for all. So let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let no eunuch complain, I'm only a dry vine. I've got nothing to offer. I'm empty. No, don't say that. For this is what the Lord says. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name, better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. So there's this idea of someone who's excluded for all sorts of reasons, being brought so near as sons and daughters. And this is actually the heart of God saying, this is how I feel about all people. I want them all drawn in as sons and daughters. And so we see here God's highly inclusive kingdom. And so if this is a spirit-led mission, it'll also be a highly inclusive kingdom. And so we expect to see in our communion people being drawn in, all sorts of people. It's the kind of invitation and welcome where no lines get drawn in the sand. And this is different to the idea of people growing. That is, sometimes people have different theologies to us. Sometimes people have ideas of God that may be different. Sometimes we might think people's lifestyles are not quite right. Those are things that God will need to work out with each of us because each of us fall short in this. None of us know God perfectly. None of our lives are perfect before God. God is working with all of us. But when we draw a line in the sand in relation to welcome and invitation, the welcome and invitation is for all. There ought not to be any line 
No line around theology, no line around sexuality or gender or any other kinds of identities or other lines that we draw. The welcome and invitation is for all. God then works with each of us according to our need. The good news continues to shape us and mould us. This will be a highly inclusive kingdom. And this is about also a personal evangelism. In chapter 8, we see that the church at the beginning starts to go through persecution. Um, And in this persecution, the church spreads and we are then introduced to Philip. And Philip goes around to Samaria. And um, in Samaria, he shares and he proclaims, but he proclaims to the masses We see this evangelism going out and it's just teaching and the word going out. But then it zooms in on this personal evangelism. I think sometimes that idea um, produces anxiety in many of us that I should be expected to be personally evangelising. Oh, the church, yeah, I'm part of a church. And our church does evangelism. Yes, it does. But the idea of me personally evangelising, that can be quite fear and anxiety inducing for many of us. I'd like to help us to think about that a little bit so that maybe it's not so anxiety inducing. But, But what we clearly see in this story is a personal evangelism. And, and one of the things about personal evangelism, it requires proximity. It requires us to be close. And in our time and in our society, being close is difficult. We're, we're losing the ability to be with people. Everywhere we go, we've got a screen. I was, um, I'm recently uh, doing uh, yoga for some of my issues. Anyway... Um, that's beside the point. The, the yoga teacher on the YouTube clip was going, oh, we've got, we're, we're raising a whole generation of people who are uh, like this. And um, he's talking about the need of, um, yeah, they're going to need a lot of stretches and a lot of exercises because there's going to be a lot of uh, sort of posture going on. We're losing our ability to connect, to relate, to converse. Um, <laughs> I remember many years ago watching somebody fishing with their younger child or grandson who was on a screen. Um, I think they were missing the point of fishing. That's okay. Um, We're losing the ability to relate and to connect and to be vulnerable. Losing the ability to be vulnerable, to be open. It's very hard to do evangelism when we don't know people. What did the Spirit say? Go near the chariot. If he didn't get near, he wouldn't have been able to see or hear what the Ethiopian eunuch was doing. And because he was near, he could see. And because he was near and listening, he didn't come in to tell the Ethiopian eunuch something or answer a question that the Ethiopian Ethiopian eunuch didn't ask, he starts with the Ethiopian eunuch's question. Who is this writer speaking about, himself or someone else? 
I remember, um, and it stuck with me and it's remained with me, uh, somebody once telling me, it was actually a, a field committee set up for me. I was a student teacher, student teacher, student um, minister, and um, a field committee set up of, of, of lay people in the congregation who sort of look out for you, give you feedback. And the chair of that field committee, he said to the people gathered on the first meeting, he said, um, God is having a conversation with Jerome. It would be very rude of us to interrupt that conversation. When we think about evangelism, when we think about loving people, the amount of times we interrupt what God's doing. God's already in a conversation with people. The best thing we can do is try to listen to what God's saying for that person and help them hear what God's saying. The Ethiopian eunuch was already in a conversation whether they knew it or not. God was speaking. Philip's task was to listen to what God was saying and facilitate and help facilitate that conversation. I remember a time when um, a spirit was particularly moving. It was just after a, a, a service. It was a, a youth and young adult service and you could see the spirit moving. I, I, I hadn't even seen it move in ways like this. I saw young people putting their hands out. I saw young people crying. It, was just, it wasn't the done thing. None of these young people were doing any of that before. So there was something happening. And, um, and there was this young person who I was sort of semi-mentoring, and he was crying. And, and I thought, I know exactly what to say. This, this young person is going through the same stuff I went through. He's in year 12. He's suffering depression. I suffered depression. Oh, yeah, I know exactly what he needs to hear. Had all this great advice, and only by the grace of God did I stop and go, God, what do you want to say? And it was something so very different. It, and it felt even silly to say it. I, I was like, oh, are you sure? My advice seems pretty good. And... And it was just as simple as, Joss, you know, God, I I thought I knew what I wanted to say, but I just feel like God wants to tell you he loves you. And he just, tears just flowed. I mean, I would have messed that up so badly if I'd come in with all my great good advice. And all he needed to hear was that he was seen and known And God loved him. I would have messed that up so bad. Another way to think about evangelism is if you think of it like gardening, um, sometimes the part that we think of evangelism is the popping of the question. Do you trust in Jesus? Do you want to give your life to Jesus? That's, that's like the fruit. That's like picking off the fruit. But any gardener will tell you you've had to prepare the land. You've had to dig the soil, take the rocks out, weed it, fertilise it, uh, plant it, nurture it, care for it. Jesus said to his own disciples, you're about to enjoy the fruit, but others have laboured before you. So some of the disciples got to experience the fruit of seeing people come into a relationship with the Lord But Jesus said to them, others have laboured before you. Pre-evangelism ought to be seen as part of the evangelism. So much love and service is needed, sometimes just to open people's hearts up. And we are all called to love and serve. Why? Because we have been loved and served. 
And we're supposed to then give that, not give them love and service that we haven't known, give them the love and service we have known by our Lord. And sometimes it's hope. We have a world needing hope. And I believe Christians, I believe the church has the one true hope, the hope of all hopes. If there's no Lord, if there's no Jesus, if there's no cross, there's no life eternal. If there's no life eternal, if this is all we have, then everything ends at some point. Almost makes things meaningless. As we see a generation becoming more and more detached from spiritual realities, we wonder why there's greater anxiety and depression And that's even within the church as we find ourselves disconnected from God. We have great hope, great hope. Sometimes we need to keep evangelising the church. We've forgotten the good news. And sometimes it is challenge that we offer, even in pre-evangelism. Challenging the worldview of others, but to be done in much love and much respect. But this is not to say that there isn't a time as well for popping the question. Sometimes we do all this pre-evangelism but lack the courage to name the name above all names, to have a conversation about Jesus. So this spirit-led, highly inclusive evangelism is joy-filled. If, if all we've heard are some great ideas about evangelism, how to do it, and we're going to psych ourselves up for it because we should be doing it. It's not where it comes from. In the scriptures, I tell you time and time again, it's joy that's propelling the gospel forward. When the apostles were flogged after that meeting, so they weren't killed in chapter 5, they were flogged, it says they went away rejoicing that they were considered worthy to suffer for the sake of the name. They were just too filled with joy. It's like, who are we going to obey? You or God? We can't stop sharing this good news. When your team wins, you've got to share it with someone. Why? Because your joy is magnified. It's amplified. It's completed in your sharing. But one of the greatest challenges for us personally and as a church is to stoke those fires, to remember why we're, we're supposed to be filled with joy, to remember the joy of our salvation. So in the service, the words were, I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. That was God's word to me. That was my good news this morning. Why? Because my life is filled with fear. I'm a person who lives with anxiety and fear. So I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. I was an outsider. I was blocked. I've been brought in and my God is with me, what am I afraid of? I'm filled with joy the moment the good news clicks for me. And we need to keep wondering how the good news is good news for us. Uh, let me leave you with one thing, at least one thing before I finish. So before I go to bed at night, one thing that brings me back in touch, reminds me I was an outsider and then God brought me in. The moment I realise that, then I want to bring others in. I, I'm, I'm so filled with joy. Something that reminds me of that every day is that as I lie on my bed, 
I pray a prayer of confession. Because the prayer of confession reminds me that I sin still. But I don't sin as an outsider. I sin as an insider. I'm an insider. God's going to forgive me. But my sin reminds me that I once was an outsider. My sin once did separate me. And so every time I confess my sin, every time I recognise this day I haven't loved God, I haven't loved others, merciful God, my maker and my judge, I have sinned against you in thought, in word and in deed and in what I have failed to do. I have not loved you with my whole heart. I have not loved my neighbour as myself. I repent and am sorry for all my sins. Father, forgive me. Strengthen me to love you and obey you in newness of life. Through Jesus Christ, my Lord. Amen. This is my joy. By his wounds, we have been healed. By his wounds, we have been brought near. Our joy fuels our spirit-led, highly inclusive evangelism. We must come back and be in touch with the joy of our salvation, which is Jesus Christ our Lord.